Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you or grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband." If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that we will be those spoken of in Isaiah 66 who you dwell with. You dwell in a high and holy place, and you dwell with those who are broken in a contrite spirit, who tremble at your word. Lord, we pray that we will be your pliable people by your Holy Spirit, 
depending on nothing else but the Word of God to supply us with what we need. Lord, depending on no other source of life but Jesus Christ, depending on no other power and strength but that of God, looking for nothing else in life, Lord, except for you and not wanting anything in life if it will not give us more of you. And we thank you that the whole of our lives are founded upon the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth and that nothing shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you that all that occurs to us, the whole of our lives, is surrounded in the hope that Christ has brought to us that trumps every single thing that could ever happen to your people. We praise you for that. And now build us up, Lord, in your word. Cause us to walk in the love of Christ. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this, this little book we said last week is a small thing that you enter into it and it opens up into a whole world of the glory of God's providence and the glory of God's working in his people to show forth love to one another. The first five verses, which we didn't read this morning, just in staccato fashion, just lay out the terrible uh, condition of Naomi as, she, as they go with famine from Bethlehem to Moab. There she loses her husband. Uh, her two sons marry uh, Moabite women, and then her two sons die as well. And Verse 5 says, The woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And actually, verse 6 that we read this morning is a closing of that section. I would go with those who say verses 1 through 6 really constitute the first section. You'll notice verse 1, They went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And then verse 6 uh, the opposite, they arose to return from the country of Moab. Verse 1 speaks of the famine in the land. Verse 6, now the famine has ended. And so this section, in a, the briefest way, describes to us the terrible situation that she's found herself in. But the whole first chapter lays out the problem. And the rest of the book is seeking an answer to this problem. What's the resolution of the problem? And you'll notice as we go through this book that it's mainly in dialogue that, that things are revealed to us. You see the description of the action just in the first five or six verses, and then virtually the whole rest of the chapter is dialogue. And it's, it's out of the 85 or so verses, over 50 verses of this book are dialogue. That's how the action or that's how the uh, drama is unfolded as people interact uh, in this little bitty book. <clears throat> and so, though after the first six verses, we, we don't even get a, a hint of how did this affect anybody. And that's why people would, uh, some commentators say, the affective or that emotional part of the uh, event lays out now in verses 7 and following. 
You have the description. Now we're going behind the scenes and we're getting to hear, well, how has this affected Naomi? What is the grief that she has? What is the bitterness? What is the pain that she is experiencing? And it's worked out in this struggle that she has with her two daughter-in-laws and the agony that she has of having to, in, you might say, good conscience, give them the best possible way of having a life of a husband and a halfway normal life, and that is to go back to their homes where they may be married and they may be taken care of because she doesn't have much hope that they would have that kind of care if they go to what to them is a foreign land uh, with this uh, old widow who has no hope of anything. So this is what's worked out in these verses, this struggle of trying to turn them back to return to Moab and, and so that she can get on with her desperately bitter life at this point, the bitter things that have happened to her. And so we uh, begin in verse 7, and again, you can kind of see how the section begins and, and ends because in verse 7, she sets out and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah And then at the end of the chapter, verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth and they arrived. And that's the way the writer is saying they set out and returned and then all this stuff happened, all this dialogue. And finally, as I was saying, they returned and they arrived. So uh, two big, um, two sections, one through six and then seven through 22. This is, many would call this first chapter, Act 1, chapter 2, Act 2 with the field, Act 3 is the threshing floor, and Act 4, we'll see, is the gates. And in each section, of course, I mean, in each act, there are different scenes. So, we're on the road, and notice verse 8, Naomi begins... Go, return each of you to her mother's house. A bit unusual that she would say, your mother's house. Uh, This may reflect the fact that they would go home and actually live uh, in a separate mother's uh, home. There's some emphasis here of the fact that uh, it may be speaking from a woman's point of view. But it is a bit unusual that it would use that phrase, your mother's house. But here notice, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And he uses the word, she uses the word kesed, this word of, of steadfast love. So she is saying to these two women that you have done great love to me. You've, you've shown faithful love to me. You've shown faithful love to my sons. And, and she prays then that the Lord will show faithful love to them, even as she supposes that they are going to go back. And she hopes that they will find rest in the house of a husband, hoping that they will have children, that they will set up a home, that they will have the safety of a husband, and that the Lord would show kindness to them, even as they have shown kindness to her. And so she kissed them. That's the indication of the kiss of goodbye. We're done with this. You're going to go home. I'm going to go on my way. You hopefully will have uh, mercy from the Lord as you've shown mercy to me. And yet it doesn't work. 
They lifted up their voices and wept. And they said, no, we will return with you to your people. So this is the first of it, uh, an interchange of her speaking, their crying. She's going to speak again. There's going to be more crying. And then there's going to be more speaking. So there's this back and forth of her urging them uh, repeatedly. And they're crying uh, that they might come with her. So at this point, both daughters are willing to leave everything, it appears, to follow after her, to abandon their families, to abandon their country, to go back with Naomi. But she will not have it. Again, she uses this word, turn back. This is is a play on words that's hard to see in English because it's the same word for return in verse uh, 6. That the, uh, ver- yeah, verse 7, I'm sorry, that they were returning to the land of Judah. But now it's you return. In fact, there are, only, there are 12 uses of the word return. 7 and 22 talk about returning to Judah, but everything else is return to Moab, return to Moab. Just goes over and over and over again from Naomi. Just pushing as hard as she can, arguing in every way to turn her daughter-in-laws back to what Naomi would understand is a more hopeful future for them. And so again, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Now, this isn't asking for information. It's, it's the, the way we just say, well, why? You know, why are you doing this? Not like, tell me the reasons you're doing this. You know, it's that emotional response. Why are you acting this way? This doesn't make sense. This is not going to be good for you. This, is, this has no future whatsoever for you. Why are you doing this? That's Naomi's passionate argument to her daughter-in-laws. And notice she says, <clears throat> Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? And there are two words that she could use, the normal words for womb, but this is the uh, general word for your insides. And it's kind of a dramatic word for her. Do I have two sons inside of me? You know, it's that kind of shocking statement almost. You don't, you don't use that word usually to indicate uh, a baby in the womb. But do I have two sons inside of me that they may become your husbands? Turn back, she says again, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. And she doesn't mean I'm too old to get married. But I'm too old to have a husband and have sons. It's pointless. It's useless. There's no hope for me to give you more sons. I can't do it. And then she lays out the, even if this happened, if I should say, well, I have hope. And even if tonight I had a husband and tonight I sleep with my husband and I began to have children, what's going to happen? Are you going to wait till they're grown? Are you going to refrain from marrying all that time? No, it's and then this last phrase where she says, No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. The better translation, I think, along with several commentators, is it is too bitter for you to be a part of what I'm a part of. The situation is too bitter for you to associate yourself with me. Don't do it. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, that's a pretty shocking statement to say, here is the the God that I serve, Yahweh, and I'm going to the land of this God, Yahweh, as you would understand it. But Yahweh 
has been against me. Yahweh has ruined my life. Yahweh has taken away my husband. He's taken away my sons. All hope that I have in the world. And that was true outwardly. A woman had no hope hardly outside of this. The poverty of widows, the helplessness, the, uh, the liability to uh, economic disaster and mistreatment in judgment uh, to physical abuse, etc., was terrible in those days. And so the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. We're going to talk more about her view of Yahweh and her view of, of the, the pain that she suffered when we get into verses 19 through 22 uh, next week. And we'll take up that phrase right there, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. But you see, it's argument to the daughters to say, look, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you. The, the hand of the Lord is against me. This is a sinking ship here. I urge you. Don't go along with me. Don't be associated with the the bitterness. Don't be a part of this walking disaster that has become my life. See, it's an emotional cry. And we don't need to get caught up as much in, well, that sure wasn't a good thing for her to be sending her daughters to a pagan place. She should have just had them come back no matter what to Israel. Well, maybe if you get technical about it, but we've got to just understand the emotion of her life at this point. The bitterness that consumed her. The fact that nothing, she had no light on the horizon. And in this emotional outcry, she's saying, no, my daughter's return. Do anything but be associated with me. There's no hope if you join yourself to me. It's only going to be disaster. And so, at that point then, uh, what you would expect, uh, Orpah then, and this corresponds, you see, to what uh, happened in verse 9. She kissed them, they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 14, on the other side of that speech, then they lifted up their voices and wept. It's reversed. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law instead of the mother-in-law kissing Orpah. It's, it's Orpah's way of saying, okay, I kiss you goodbye too. Now you have to bear in mind that for Orpah, this was, uh, this was a sensible thing to do. And even obedient to her mother-in-law. Uh, Orpah had den, done good things to, uh, uh, to, to Naomi and to her husband. And the, the text doesn't really fault Orpah for this. It just states that a good woman who had done good things in this household was taking the advice of the urgent uh, pleading of this mother-in-law, and she did the sensible thing, and she went back. And if you're reading it for the first time, you'd, a reader would expect that both of them are going to kiss their mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And after that speech, you just think, is she never going to give up? Is she never going to listen to what her mother-in-law is saying? What else can she say to her that she has not said to try to drive her away, to try to get her to a more hopeful future? But Ruth clung to her. And this word, cling, 
is a rich word in the Scriptures. It's actually the word used in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, cling to her. It's also used throughout Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, is one example of 4 or 5, where it says that you must love the Lord your God, you must serve Him and trust Him and cling to Him. So there's this covenantal uh, overtone, both in the marriage covenant and in our covenant to God of the clinging to her mother-in-law. And still, still, verse 15, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You see, all up to this point, this has been, and it, is, and it continues to be, as we sh- showed last week, that the final resolution of the story is the resolution of Naomi's loss, with Naomi having her grandson. And even in this section, it's interesting how the, the verbs are used in verses 6 and 7. She arose with her daughters-in-law. She had heard in the fields. She set place uh, out from the place where she was. Finally, you get in the latter part of verse 7, they went on the way. So there's a special emphasis in the way the narrator is giving us all of this. This is Naomi's story. This is Naomi's loss. This is Naomi's problem. And now let's see what, the God, what God does to bring resolution to Naomi's problem. And up to this point, except the first mention of Ruth and uh, Orpah, their names were not mentioned throughout. It was just daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law. Then, without a word spoken... Orpah kissed her mother, and she's gone off the scene. We'll never hear from her again. And it's hard to read this for the first time. You know, sometimes you watch a good movie and you say, man, I'd love to see that again like I've never seen it before, you know, because it was just so good the first time you experienced it. And you have to bear in mind, all you've heard so far is the name of the other was Ruth. Daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law. And then suddenly... But Ruth clung to her. She says, no, go with your sister-in-law. Go back. You've got to follow her. And Ruth says, I love this. The, the basic word is, don't pressure me to leave you again. And I was like, stop pushing me away. Don't pressure me to leave you. Don't pressure me to return from following you. Now, let's look a bit at the structure of this statement where we're going to sit for a few minutes it begins and ends with comparable statements. That is, uh, they match. This is one of those things they call chiasm where uh, it goes A, B, C, B, A. Okay? So the beginning and the end are related. It begins, don't urge me, this, this imperative. Don't pressure me. Don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. And then it ends with this grand uh, statement bringing the curse upon herself, may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Then, in the middle, the very middle, is the great statement, your people shall be my people, your God my God. And we'll get to that. That's the absolute middle of this statement. 
It's the heart of it. It's where everything structures, everything turns on that statement. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Now, that helps us understand that the other two statements go together. Where it says, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge, goes with verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So it's good to relate those two statements together. That's the way the Hebrew structure is here. And it means wherever you go, wherever you stay. In other words, what it doesn't matter about your life in every part of your life, I will be there. I will be in, in every part of your life. Then verse 17 means, and then I will stay with you to the end of life, and I will stay with you after we're both dead, because I'm going to be buried with you. This isn't a temporary thing. You're an old woman, I'll stay with you till you die, and then I'm out of here. This is a statement that my bones will lie with your bones forever. That is my commitment. I forsake my people. I forsake my gods. I forsake any security that I have. I take you and you alone. And I take your God. And, of course, the center of it, and it's hard to get at the the brevity of the Hebrew because your people is one word and my people is one word. And then your God and my God are just one word. If you can hear it in the original, it's just like, bow, 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 bow. It's that short. Your God, my God. Your people, my people. And of course, when you look at that, we'll touch on this a bit more later, but I just want to immediately point you over to chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. One commentary is titled, Under the Wings of Refuge, taking that verse as what this is all about. And I think it's important for us to see that her commitment to Naomi has as its heart that I will be a part of your people. I will be, your God will be my God. And that's what Boaz says. Fundamentally, what happened? You came to put yourself under the wings of the God of Israel. It's like Rahab, very similar to Rahab, who said to the spies, I've heard about the God of Israel. I've heard what he did to the Egyptians. I heard what he did at the Jordan River. And I want to give myself to this God. She confessed that God. She confessed the God of Israel. And so Ruth is, even now, holding fast and clinging to him. Let me just read to you a statement from a woman whose last name is Tribble. Her first initial is P, but I could never find her her, uh, full name in all the references. But she writes this. In the entire epic of Israel, only Abraham himself matched such radical commitment. But he had a call from God and was a man in a man's world with a wife and family for support. All right, that's Bush's statement. Now, here's Tribble's statement. Ruth stands alone. 
She possesses nothing. No God has called her visibly. No deity has promised her blessing. No human being has come to her aid. She lives and chooses without a support group, and she knows that the fruit of her decision may well be the emptiness of rejection, indeed of death. Consequently, not even Abraham's leap of faith surpasses this decision of Ruth's. And there's more. Not only has Ruth broken with family, country, and faith, but she's reversed sexual allegiance. A young woman has committed herself to the life of an old woman rather than the search for a husband. One female has chosen another female in a world where life depends upon men. There is no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel. As one has said, she then makes Yahweh the guardian of her future. Because she has nothing else. She has nothing else but to put herself under the care of this God, no matter how bleak, no matter how hopeless, no matter how secure it would seem to be to go home, she can do no other. And I want you to notice this curse that she takes upon herself. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Um, You might notice that it doesn't really say what the Lord would do to her. But this is a standard, in fact, this happens, this kind of curse occurs 12 times in 1 Samuel and, and Kings, in, in Samuel and Kings. And in each time, it has this formula, may the Lord do so and more, if this or that thing. And the understood thing is that the, the curses are kind of understood, there's Famine, there's the sword, there's disease and plague, there's childlessness, there is the, the heavens blocking the, the rain. There are all these ways for the Lord to destroy you. And so it's just kind of understood, may the Lord do so. <laughs> may the Lord destroy me. But then it has that little added thing, and it's almost as to say, may the Lord do to me and anything else he can think of. You know, <laughs> It's got that phrase, just the sky's the limit. Whatever God can think of to do to curse me, it's open game if I don't do this, if I don't commit myself to you. And there's that idea of chesed love, you see, steadfast love, committed love. I bind myself to you, love, no matter what the cost. And... The contrast, you see, with Orpah is interesting because it doesn't say Orpah did anything wrong. Orpah's, she's even uh, praised for the love that she showed Naomi and to Naomi's son. And as one has said, one may understand Orpah, and understand how at that point she would say, yes, you're right, I need to go back. But he says, we're called by the text to emulate Ruth. We may understand how she could do that, but we're called to be like Ruth. It's 
It's an extraordinary commitment. It's kind of shocking goodness here. Shocking goodness. Remarkable kindness that goes beyond what anybody could have expected in the situation. And that is what the narrator is holding up to us as the glorious example of this story of committed love one to another and how it transforms life. How God uses that to transform lives. Now, in one of the uh, commentators uh, talked about how this phrase or this, this promise is used sometimes in marriage ceremonies. And as he was talking about it, he said, well, it's really not proper unless both the wife and the husband-to-be say these things because the phrase, your people should be my people, is said, so if they're saying, I will be part of your family and you'll be part of my family, he said, then it's okay. But he said, that's not what people mean in our individualistic uh, society. And I thought, Oh, no, because we've used it that way. Um, when, uh, when George and Joanna were married, and then later Patrick and Cindy were married, they used a, 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 a vow that friends of Joanne and, uh, Joanne and, uh, I'm sorry, Joanne and George had, had used. And it's a, a glorious statement. There's a little bit different from the woman and, and from the man, but they both end the same way. Uh, as uh, Patrick made this commitment, he says, As Christ taught us to love by laying down his life, I too will gladly lay down my life to protect you. And then this phrase is lifted out of the NIV version of this statement in Ruth. And he said this, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And I remember when they said that, everybody in the audience was kind of like, (laughs) May the Lord deal ever so severely with me, be it ever so severely. And then Cindy, her her last phrases uh, were this, I will serve, uh, as Christ has taught us to serve, I will serve you. Where you will go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. And hopefully, you can see almost immediately how rich this is for believers because we are called, and I hope you'll remember this phrase. We're called to shocking goodness as believers. Really shocking goodness. Isn't that Jesus' point in the end of uh, chapter 5 of Matthew when he's talking about being sons of, the, of God? And he says, hey, unbelievers, pagans, Gentiles, they love people who love them. He said, if you do that, uh, you, you've done nothing. I mean, the the words are shocking from Jesus right there. He says, says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Did not even the task gatherers, collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He said, okay, well, that's good. That's loving that you love those who love you. And we all know, I don't even do that very well. He says, but even if you do that, You haven't even gotten to first base. 
He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven because he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You want to be like your dad. You want to show forth his character. It's a radical goodness. It's a shocking goodness where goodness cannot be expected and yet, there it is. It's like a flower that just springs out of a rock and you think, how in the world did that flower, how is it alive in that rock? And that's the shocking goodness of the love of God. It's what Jesus speaks about in Matthew 25 in that gripping passage where he says, the goats and the sheep will be before me in that day. And he says, in a situation, and I've said this before, but in a situation that was very dangerous, in a situation in which if you went to prison to help those who were in prison, believers who had been in prison because of their faith, and they were hungry and you, you took them food and you gave them drink and you gave them clothes because in that situation they wouldn't have it if you didn't bring it to them. But in so doing, you could be arrested yourself and your possessions could be taken and you could be killed even. Even in that situation... Jesus said, the goats didn't do it, and the sheep did. That's shocking goodness, isn't it? You know, you think, well, surely he doesn't expect me to end up in prison too. I mean, or I could lose my house. I mean, come on. That's Orpah talk, isn't it? That's Orpah talk. Sensible. Sensible but not radical. Our pattern, as we read, even in the service from John 15, our pattern is nothing less than Jesus Christ. Isn't that His new commandment to us? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And earlier in chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And remember Paul's words in Ephesians 5. After saying, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ is always set before us. His shocking goodness, His love that spilled beyond any expectation as Paul does in Philippians 2 where he says, you must catch one another as more important than yourselves. You must put each other first because that's what Christ did. Even though He was equal with the Father, He gave up everything and descended to the point of dying, even the death on the cross. That's what you are going to be like as His followers. You're going to love in some way like Christ loved. It has application for elders. Acts 28, shepherd the church of God for which he purchased. So the same love that purchased them is the love that must be given to them. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged 
If Yahweh so worked in a young Moabite girl whose only association with Yahweh was the faith of Naomi that at times was uneven, and even the confession of the bitterness of Yahweh, and still she had that kind of chesed love. What might God do in our lives who are in Christ? What is it going to look like in your home? Husbands, wives, toward your children, children toward one another, children toward your parents. What about your neighbors? What is shocking goodness going to look like? But oh, it's taking place in her life right before our eyes. And the encouragement is we have none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who has purchased us, bought us, redeemed us, it says in Titus 2, redeeming us from every lawless deed, that what? That we might be zealous for goodness. Shocking goodness. He might redeem us so that we would be like Him. Oh, may the Lord grant it abundantly in our lives. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank You that as we take You as the refuge, as we run under the refuge of Your wings and hide ourselves under the shadow of Your forgiveness, under the shadow of Your power and protection and Your changing grace, Your transforming work in our lives, that we as well will give ourselves up in faithful love to one another. Oh Lord, I confess, and perhaps many here too, how unfaithful I've been to my brothers and sisters, even in this congregation. How my love so often has not looked like this. And I've not manifested this shocking goodness, this unexpected love to the very flock with which I've been entrusted. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a member of this church, as a member of this community. Lord, thank you that there is grace in Christ Jesus. Thank you that there is forgiveness in Him. And thank you that you have made us new in Him so that we might bear the very character of Jesus. As Paul says, we are being transformed from glory to glory into the same image. And if there are any here who have not tasted the love of God in Jesus Christ, O Lord, draw them even now to trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who died in the cross for all that we have done to one another that is not lovely, has borne that punishment. O Lord, may they draw near to Him and receive Him and rest in Him for forgiveness from all their sins and rest in Him for a changed life and give themselves up under His wings even as Ruth gave herself under the wings of Yahweh. Bless us, Lord, for your name's sake. Amen. The pleasing is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, 
and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of